Welcome to episode 244 of X-Lapsed That is original recipe X-Lapsed Because, well, after sitting in various states In various uh, distribution places, depots uh, My DCBS package has finally, finally arrived I mean, we're over halfway through September now And I'm just getting the August books I don't know why these packages of late have been cursed (laughs) The way they have But, uh, boy, it seems like everywhere they sat well, they sat there for a while, and they were handed off to different post offices, back to FedEx, back to the post office, and, uh, well, you know, it, it, they're they're here now, so we're good. <laughs> we are back in business, at least for, uh, well, the next little while here. Now, we do have a pretty big episode today. We're talking about the final issue of one of our books. We've got mail to catch up on. We've got Marvel previews for the books coming out in November. I mean, it's, a uh, Maybe going to be a longer episode here, so I will uh, not waste any more of your time with pre-ramble, and we'll get right on into today's book. This is, of course, Children of the Atom, number six of six. October 2021 cover date. The story is called Party of One, written by Vita Ayala with art by Paco Medina and additional inks by Walden Wong. Colors, David Curiel. Letters, VCs, Travis Lanham. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Andres Belasteros, White, and Sabolski. Cover price, $3.99. Went on sale August the 11th of 2021. Now we pick up shortly after we left off last time, like, feels like a hundred years ago. Um, Storm had informed the gang that Carmen, gimmick, is not only a mutant, but she's also invited to the Hellfire Gala. And I tell you what, the sooner I never have to say the words Hellfire Gala again, the, uh, the better. Now let's stop and think about this for a sec. Storm doing this the way that she did, it's kind of a dick move, right? Like, maybe this is an invite she should have given Carmen in private, and not in front of her mutant-obsessed clique. Like, Storm's not a dummy, right? She had to know that this might cause some hard feelings among the children, right? Uh... Anyway, by now Storm has already left, and it's time to watch the team that we've been largely indifferent to for the past five issues begin to implode. Because, of course, to Buddy, Cyclops lasts. Like, mutants are life, right? They're, they're, they're all there is to life. She's positively nuts about him. And now, I mean, she doesn't come out and say she's jealous of Carmen, but instead she kind of twists it a bit to yell at Carmen for keeping such a big secret from her and the rest of the group. And also for lying about what she actually really is, you know, and being a mutant. Let's keep in mind that Buddy and the gang have been sort of kind of lying about being mutants since we met them. Maybe not outright saying they were mutants, but really trying to pass as mutants. Now, Buddy continues to try to contort the argument into her favor here. I mean, there really shouldn't be an argument, but she's making an argument. 
and says that uh, there's no way any of the Coda kids would ever trust Carmen again to have their backs. Which, yeah, is kind of a stretch. But also seems like something a butthurt teenager might say in a situation like this. So, uh, you know, I think we should allow it. Now, Carmen ain't got no time for Buddy's BS and uh, calls her out exactly for what's going on here. And that, of course, is that Buddy is jealous. Now, Buddy does not outright deny this. She only kind of mutters about how hard she's worked. Now, Carmen reminds her that they've all worked hard to this point. Uh, She herself has been taking care of sewing all sorts of weird mutant stuff into costumes, and, I mean, hell, designing their costumes in the first place. Now, Buddy suggests that she never really cared about the Coda mission, she being Carmen, of course. Carmen mildly disagrees. She does care. She does care about mutants. She does care about the team. She's just not fanatically obsessed about it like Buddy is. And then it escalates. Carmen calls out Buddy for faking many things. First, pretending to be Cole's friend. Also trying to get Cole's DNA so they could crack the Krakoan gates. She then asks how this makes the Coda kids any different from the U-Men. And I mean, we're not exactly comparing apples to apples here, but I guess her point is well taken. Cherub, what's his real name again? I don't know. Cherub calls Carmen out for stepping over the line with that remark. But you know what? I'm, I'm sort of kind of with her at this point. From here, Buddy ends the conversation. She just tells Carmen to have a great time being superior with her new people. From here, we get an info page. Sort of. It's that same Hellfire Gala invitation that we've already seen like 75 times over the past several months. Only this one comes with a personalized sticky note from Storm to Carmen, welcoming her to mutantdom and suggesting she start thinking of a mutant name. I guess a gimmick ain't good enough? I don't know, maybe I'm biased because I use the word gimmick like four times an episode, but I, I kind of dig it. Now, you might think that since this is the last issue, we might not want to waste an entire page on this kind of stuff, but whatever, I'm not in charge. Now, speaking of wasted pages, we get a double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters today include Cherub, or Wallpaper Man, Marvel Guy, or Wallpaper Guy, Cyclops Last Gimmick, and Daycrawler, or Wallpaper Lad. Now, the credits page does use the Hellfire Gala background. You remember how it was like the big red ball with the Hellfire stuff in there? Made me wonder if I needed to break out the old Hellfire Gala cover art for this episode. But, since it's not an official tie-in, like, I doubt it'll be part of any trade collection, or, you know, ever mentioned again, I decided against it. So, back to comics, and we got Carmen stepping through the gateway to arrive at the Hellfire Gala. She is immediately greeted by Storm... And lightning. Uh, Like Storm looks to be producing lightning from her backside. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of vittles they're serving at the gala, but this is not a good look. Anyway, as Aurora escorts Carmen, we see some notables hobnobbing. Of particular note, we see Rogue and Mr. Sinister seeming to have a uh, fine chat, which is kind of weird. Carmen asks about Gold Balls changing his name to Egg which seems like something she really ought to have already known. Um, You would imagine Buddy would have made a huge deal out of this when updating the database, but maybe not. Anyway, Carmen then meets Mystique, who is intrigued to see a new shapeshifter arriving on the island. She offers to give her some instruction about what her powers are really about, and Storm tells her to beat it and quit scaring the kids. Next up, we get some more meet and greets. Uh, Carmen meets Scott and Jean, who welcome her, before breaking away to announce the new X-Men team. And you know, I often talk about these books treading water, but wow, I mean, has it ever been any more apparent than right here? I mean, not only are we in a story that ended two months ago, but 
I mean, how many different angles do, does this scene actually need? I swear, over the course of the past several months, we've seen Cyclops and Jean pulled away from a half dozen different conversations in order to make the X-Men announcement. So, I don't know. Anyway, now as this announcement's being made, we see Magic and Doctor Strange having a chat. We also see Call Me Kate and Colossus, which is a romantic thread that hasn't been tugged on in years at this point. Uh, Kitty invites him to the Marauder, and, uh, well, we know from Sword and Guardians that she also invited that other Peter to the Marauder. And, I mean, it's not like we've got editors or nothing to keep this straight, so what are you going to do? Anyway, back to Gimmick, who finds herself harangued by the Hell's Bells. Remember them? Yeah. Danny Moonstar then comes over to help her out, and we almost get an If You're Nasty reference here, which, uh, I don't know. Now, across the room, Captains America and Marvel note that Danny Moonstar is there and ask themselves why she hasn't come over to say hi yet. Is there supposed to be something to this scene? Like, I didn't know Danny was so close to the Avengers, so... I don't know, maybe this will play out in New Mutants or something. From here, Carmen meets Eyeboy, and I think we saw this from another angle over in X-Factor number 10. Now, he offers to give her another tour of the place. Like, how many tours does she need? Um, anyway, she gets Dazzler's autograph, has an eating contest with Magic, probably in preparation for X of Tens 2, and then chats up Jumbo Carnation. The next morning, Carmen's all by her lonesome looking at her phone, and she sees pictures of her and her pals and wonders what she ought to do from here. Later, we rejoin our hero who's back home, and she's preparing to tell her folks that she is a mutant. Now, as she attempts to come out, uh, her stepdad cuts her off to inform her that they both already know what she's about to say, and the rents assume that she's going to tell them that she's a lesbian. Just then, Professor X pops up on the TV news, and stepdad Alejandro is not shy about his feelings about the head of Krakoa and refers to him as a dangerous element. Now, at this point, with tears in her eyes, Carmen informs them that she is a mutant. She then assumes that she's going to get the boot, and so she assures her folks that she'll be moving to Krakoa to keep any dangerous elements away from the family. Alejandro then tells her to pump the brakes. You see, he doesn't have a problem with Xavier for being a mutant. He just doesn't agree with his problematic politics. So you see, gang, it's not cool to assume. Even though anything anybody says nowadays can be taken as a blanket statement and lead to their cancellation, but, uh... We won't go into that. So yeah, Carmen still got a home and a loving family, so all is good. So, you might be asking yourselves, how can we top this miniseries off the proper post-Hoxpox way? You might be wondering. Well, um, how about we have the Coda kids fight friggin' horticulture? That'd be hilarious, right? Because they're old, and we can make Golden Girls references. Oh, boy. Now, we're at the Flora Expo, where some Krakoan plants are on display, which doesn't sound like a good idea. Like, would there be, like, an unguarded expo with piles of, like, oxy laid out on a table? And sure, that's not a one-to-one comparison, but not too far off, right? These Krakoan plants are, uh, they got some hoodoo. Anyway, now it's here where Gimmick rejoins the team, and they beat up the old bags. She also tricks them into shapeshifting into one of the old bags herself. And later, the police come to arrest them. The old bags, that is. The scene ends with Daycrawler bamfing the gang on out of there. The next day, the kids meet on the roof of Corbo Prep, like they're a group of anime kids in a high school drama at lunchtime. Now here, everybody makes nice. 
And amidst a 50-pound dialogue dump about how appropriation is bad, Buddy reveals that she reciprocates the hot pants that Carmen has for her. Then, an info page. It's social media stuff. Um, the Coda kids come out as human. Well, mostly humans in a video. You remember when superheroes didn't need to announce everything? I miss those days. Um, now, this announcement is met with a bit of a mixed reaction. A rixed reaction? No, mixed reaction. And it's also met by Cradle asking for more information about them so they can, you know, arrest them. Now, we wrap up with the Codas escorting Carmen to a gateway, Buddy giving her a big kiss, and uh, that's that. And uh, you might be wondering the living situation here. Uh, Carmen will be going to school all week and then practicing mutant stuff on weekends. And maybe, maybe we'll see her in a panel somewhere down the line standing next to D-Cell or something. That's where we leave it. Next episode, X-Men Unlimited, number two. So, you know, it says something when we go through six issues of a comic and out the other end, there really, there really isn't much to say, right? Um... I feel like if this was always intended to be a miniseries, and I'm not convinced either way, I feel like if that was the case, the structure was completely wrong. In dedicating entire issues to the narration of one of the characters, I mean, these are characters we don't know, and we may never get the chance to know them. So it just feels like... I don't know, this feels overly indulgent. It also feels like, uh, like we may have wasted some time here. Now, if this was meant to be an ongoing then sure, you're going to spend the first few issues. That's just comics these days. The first arc of many ongoings is gathering the team or developing the team or just introducing ourselves to the team so that when the second trade starts, we can actually hit the ground running. And maybe that was the case. But if that is the case, it sort of ignores some of the realities of the publishing environment today, right? I, I mean, this is a book starring nobody we knew. And uh, to launch something like that and have it actually stick, it's a rarity. It's a pretty big swing. And I mean, if it worked, it would have been great. But we really can't ignore reality these days where, like, books featuring characters that people know and care about aren't making it. So it's a pretty big swing. So maybe this should have been written with more of an eye toward wrapping up after six issues. And if it turned out to be a success, then bonus, right? Then you just keep it going. That's not what we got here. Um, once we hit the staples of this issue, they may as well have just stopped drawing pictures. I mean, some of these pages would make Claremont and Byrne like kind of go, kind of shudder a little bit. There was so much dialogue here, trying to wrap this up as neatly and concisely as possible. And I feel that that overall did the uh, issue and the series itself a little bit of a disservice. Usually, I could say, like, this will read much better in a trade. And yes, it will. It will read much better in trade. If you do it all in one gulp, you will appreciate it more than had you read it over the course of six months. But even so, you will see the, uh, you know, the seams of truncation, as we used to call them. You will see that this is being rushed to a conclusion here. And I suppose it could be argued that they're making the best of a bad situation, but again, to the realities of comics publishing right now, uh, you always have to write to where every, you know, we used to talk about every issue could be someone's first. Well, now it's kind of flipped on its head, and for any writer, any issue could potentially be their last. I mean, especially at Marvel. I mean, we're going to go through Marvel previews in a little bit, and uh, we're not going to be talking about a lot of the issues I'm referencing now, but so many books have final issue on it, so many have a number one on it, I mean... 
I feel for the creators here because they almost have to write with the expectation that they're going to have the book yanked out from under them. Folks who've seen the uh, interview with Leia Williams when she talked about the X-Factor cancellation can attest to that, where it's just, Marvel will yank, (laughs) Marvel will cut your knees off, and Marvel will cancel. So to write a story that's formatted the way Children of the Atom was being formatted seems foolhardy at best. And one last observation about the truncation or the truncation feel here. Uh, Vida Ayala has another Young Mutant book that doesn't look like it's getting canceled anytime soon, at least as far as I can tell. But I feel like this could have been handled as subplots in New Mutants, right? Maybe dedicate a few pages to it a month. We get a little bit of a slow burn. It maybe feels a little bit more earned and satisfying than what we got here. I don't know. Now for uh, some questions about the issue and the, the overall series here. Did we need to spend that much time at the Hellfire Gala? I mean, we've seen the Hellfire Gala for several hundred pages at this point. I don't know that we needed to dedicate quite so much of the issue to the gala. Only thing I can figure is Marvel thinks we want the gala more, and maybe maybe we do. Maybe this is a Chris situation where it's like, uh, enough of the gala already. Maybe everybody else really, really loves it and wants to see more of it. So, okay, we'll allow it. Let's talk about horticulture. Now, I think horticulture is among the worst things ever. Uh, certainly one of the worst things introduced during post-Hoxpox, but should they have been beaten this easily? Like, I mean, didn't they give the actual X-Men a run for their money not too long ago to have these kids beat them? It seems, I don't know, it seems a little weird. And I guess I'll wrap up my discussion of the issue by mentioning some dangling threads from the uh, series here. First, what of the spaceship? You remember the kids were on that spaceship in that flashback? Why were they there? How were they there? And, and what was the deal with it? Will we get those answers? I don't know. Does it matter one way or another? Again, I don't know. Now, what was up with Gorilla Man and Cole? Again, another one I, I really don't know. And one last question here, which is more a question about mutation overall. And that is, why wasn't Carmen able to cross through the gateways before now? Like, yes, her her powers just manifested, but it stands to reason that she always had the mutant gene inside her. So, by all accounts, she should have been able to cross through the Krakoan Gateway. And I think we only saw her go through one at the end of the first issue, I believe, where they uh, are at Coney Island and they step through and just wind up on the other side of the gateway and not actually in Krakoa. So I might be mistaken, it might be a plot hole, maybe it'll be something that'll be addressed Somewhere down the line, maybe we'll never, ever hear of it again. Overall, this is yet another series in the post-Hoxpox books that uh, really make me think we need an anthology title. Of course, it won't be X-Men Unlimited, since we already have a new X-Men Unlimited, but uh, I think had this story been part of an anthology that was maybe anchored by more popular characters, then it probably would have gotten a little bit more time to be fleshed out properly and not feel quite as uh, uneven and at times really, really stretched out and at other times really, really rushed like we got here. I feel like with Marvel's itchy trigger finger in as far as just launching books willy-nilly and then canceling them willy-nilly, I feel like we need something of a constant. Give us an anthology and load it up with some of these stories that are interesting but can't, you know, can't carry their own series. Things like Children of the Atom, things like X-Corp, Things like anything you might want to explore that you don't think would sell on its own. I mean, we were throwing around giant-sized X-Men like crazy at the launch of Dawn of X, right? 
Let's do that again. Bring back a giant size X-Men, do it monthly, and fill it with some sort of kind of off-the-beaten-path X-Men stories. I mean, even, hey, maybe even anchor it with the new Marvel Unlimited X-Men Unlimited uh, in print for the first time. I mean, I don't know. I'm just uh, kind of freestyling ideas here um, with absolutely zero knowledge on how things work inside the uh, comics industry. So uh, take it with a couple shakers of salt. But I think that's all I got to say about uh, the issue and uh, perhaps even just the series of Children of the Atom. And I definitely look forward to hearing your thoughts on this one as well. Now, before we get into the letters here, Emil did write in to talk about House of M. Now, here's the thing. I have forgotten basically everything about House of M. And uh, usually my, uh, like, trigger reaction to House of M is uh, kind of, like, furrowing my brow and going, ew. So I do want to refamiliarize myself with House of M before I discuss it with... Uh, Passing authority here on the program So that will come soon enough But uh, I want to thank you for writing in uh, all the same meal Uh, Next up, we got Evan Talking about X-Men number 2 And Evan says All the time travel movies I've seen And stories that I've read And I still didn't heed the warning About learning too much about your own future Now this is about Evan jumping ahead To read X-Men number 2 And listen to the episode on it and me spoiling something for him that he hadn't yet read in the mailbag portion. So, uh, sorry about that. (laughs) Um, Evan continues, I haven't read the Hellfire Gala issues of New Mutants yet. The first three Gala tie-ins just arrived on Marvel Unlimited today. But I listened to the mailbag anyway. Oh, well, live and learn. It's still fun to be up to date for an episode. And uh, what he's referring to is the death of Scout. Now, Evan continues, The Morrison JLA is a good comparison to these first couple of issues, and if this run of X-Men is even half as good as that, we are in for a treat. I do agree that the Annihilation Wave was dispatched rather easily. I'll attribute that to it being nipped in the bud early rather than swallowing up entire worlds before the big battle. But that tends to happen the longer characters and concepts are around. I may have used this before, but it used to be an event any time Carnage showed up. Eventually, he just became bad guy wallpaper in the opening arc of Bendis' New Avengers. And boy, I remember that annoying me a lot. And I'm not a guy who really digs Carnage. I don't think Carnage is all that great a character, but I totally agree that it used to be an event. It was a thing when Carnage showed up. It would be, you know, oh crap, this is an issue you need to pick up. And then the turn of the century hit and into the early 2000s where we all decided that we are way too smart and way too sophisticated for those stupid 90s characters. And so Carnage just becomes another face in the crowd. I think my go-to for that is uh, Doomsday beating up Darkseid, you know, in the uh, mid-90s. Just to show that, you know, Darkseid's the, the new, you know, hotness. They have to, uh, they have to take out the old one and uh, take their place. So yeah, this Annihilation Wave, which um, I could have sworn was going to be a bigger deal, got dispatched pretty quickly. Uh, Evan continues, I like the storyline set up with Sink and Laura. It's reminiscent of the Jeff Johns Hawkman Hawk Girl storyline in JSA, a comparison you may have already made. Faded romance that only goes one way is quite awkward. And I can't remember if I made that uh, comparison. It wouldn't surprise me either way, because that was the only time in history that I ever found Hawkman interesting. Now, for folks who are not familiar with that storyline, you know, the whole gimmick with Hawkman and Hawkwoman or Hawk Girl is that they die over and over again. They come back to life and they're fated to be together. Well, around the turn of the century, when Jeff Johns was doing JSA and then into the Hawkman series, the only Hawkman series I ever cared about, um, Hawkman, well, he was all about it. 
He wasn't about to question destiny or fate, so he saw he and Hawk Girl getting together. Well, Hawk Girl, Kendra Saunders, was uh, not too keen on the predestined romance angle, and so she fought it. And as Evan says, it was uh, it was kind of awkward. It was kind of creepy. Um, Hawkman was uh, depicted as being, you know, a full-grown adult, where Hawk Girl was. Probably, I, I don't know how old she was supposed to be, but she looked to be like late teens, maybe. So it there was a weird age discrepancy on top of just the overall creepiness of a dude saying, hey, we're supposed to be together. And I do wonder if that's uh, maybe an angle they're going to play with with Sink and Laura here. And for folks who don't know about that, they did spend decades and decades in the vault and had a romantic entanglement. They came back, Sink has the memories, Laura does not So Sink remembers that they were together for so long and the feelings they shared Whereas to Laura, Sink is just some dude Thank you so much for writing in about that one, Evan Sorry again for, uh, for spoiling the, uh, the tragic end, for now, of Scout And uh, I apologize for it taking so long for me to get to, get to this message it's, uh, Sometimes the FedEx smiles at you and sometimes it sticks out its tongue It... Uh, this was uh, certainly the latter, but thanks again. Next up, our friend Walt Nealon talking about some Hellions and some catch-up. He says, I decided post-Exoswords that I would binge the individual titles. Well, it's the Tuesday after Labor Day here, and I've binged Hellions 7 through 15, and also Way of X 1 through 3. Now, I can't quite put my finger on any singular detail as to why, but I definitely loved Hellions. As you mentioned, there's something about the Alvaro lineup, uh, characters thrown together for the uniqueness-slash-concept of it, and little else, but this ragtag bunch works for me. Even knowing some of them have been horrible people in the past, others have been misused, and then of course they're sinister, they're entertaining as a group, and it's interesting to me to see how they gel and interact. And yes, I agree 100%, uh, it should come as no surprise, and I've mentioned what an Alvaro team is uh, time and again, but I will... uh, I'll do it again, just in case folks uh, may not know what that's all about. Uh, But back in the day, once Usenet turned into, um, well, spam and uh, links to pornography rather than actual discussion, I had to migrate to a different uh, message board location, and uh, one of the places was Alvaro's Comic Boards, which is still in existence today. I've tried to re-sign up for it, and uh, can't. I, I don't know why. It just does not let me sign up. Maybe it's... I don't know, maybe it's closed to new members, maybe they, uh, maybe they listen to the show, I don't know, but, uh, whatever, in any event, I can't get in there, but I, I still do browse it, seldomly, but, uh, but on occasion. Now, for a time, it seemed like the Alvaro board was nothing but, hey, put together your, your dream X-Men team, and it felt like it became an exercise in who can out-obscure the poster above them. So you'd get, like, the weirdest, weirdest stuff here without any thought to how these characters would actually gel and interact and what kind of stories could be told to best serve the team. It was just like, hey, a dark star from the Winter Guard, nobody's mentioned her yet, and it would just be, just be silliness. And when I saw the Hellions line up, that popped into my mind immediately. It's like, ah, this is an Alvaro team up. We got Nanny. I mean, we've got Scalp Hunter. It's, it felt very Alvaro, and um, I tell you, I couldn't be any happier to have been wrong. About that Uh, Walt continues I don't know that I was even consciously aware of Grey Crow before X lapsed But seeing the developing developing potential between him and Quinan Was definitely interesting to me And reading the issue, I was watching for development there Other than the names, Nanny and Orphan Maker I was not particularly familiar, if at all, with those And their dysfunctional relationship has been interesting to see play out 
Havoc's interesting. My primary exposure to the character and what I first think of when I hear the name Havoc is X-Factor number 92 with that excellent hologram back in 1993. That also cemented that outfit as my favorite for the character and made it quite iconic to me. I agree. I really, really dig the uh, X-Factor Havoc outfit. I thought that was so cool. Just the, the heads... I mean, they all had head socks, right? They all had the head socks with the hair pouring out the top. Uh, that's just uh, comfort food for me. I really, really dig that. Uh, Walt also thinks about Mutant X when it comes to Havoc. He says, Mutant X was one of my X titles back in the late 90s, one that I jumped on with with issue one and followed through monthly for at least a couple years, including the annuals. By the way, I always wondered why anyone with a subscription to X-Factor would be switched over to X-Men for the remaining issues of their subscription rather than just jumping into Mutant X, but I suppose that's some other discussion for another time. And... Yes, that always struck me as odd when a book would get canceled, a book where, you know, subscriptions were the thing, and people would get shifted to another book that may or may not continue the story, or maybe a book or starring characters or written by creators that you just don't like. It's very, very weird. Uh, Walt continues, Despite that, I never picked up on the 616 Alex having romantic ties to Maddie, but seeing him hit by her death and the arbitrariness of a clone who was her own person-slash-individual not being brought back has added some relatability to the guy, if only in understanding certain heartaches from complicated relationships-slash-friendships and those around a person amidst such situations. And you know, the juxtaposition of these last two points um, kind of put things into a different perspective for me as well. Uh, of course, we know that in the 616, Alex and Maddie do have a history, romantic history, but this is also the same Havoc who did live through Mutant Dex. You know, he was sent to that uh, dimension and came back, but while in that dimension, not only was he married to Madeline Pryor, but they had a son together. So that's another layer of... Uh, Potential heartache, I guess? That's uh, that's very interesting, and not something I'd actually thought about until right this very minute. Walt continues, Speaking of heartache, Wild Child. Now, my primary experience with the character was in the original Age of Apocalypse. While I read of the character having less devolved periods, I don't think I've really read any of those. Now, Alpha Flight rings a bell for something I read recently about the character and his short-term romantic link to Aurora. Seeing the beefed-up version and his pain when he learns of Aurora and Dakin, Dakin, I really felt for the guy. And I'm definitely interested more in the character than ever before, having read just these handful of issues with him as one of the mains. Empath is another character I'd heard of but never been familiar with. Still can't say that I'm all that familiar with him outside of being what he has been in this series. But as an element within the series, I appreciate the character being there and some of the humor moments with characters reacting to his mutant power. And Sinister, I should not like this take on the character. My introduction to Mr. Sinister was at the end of Season 1 of the 1992 X-Men cartoon. Just some creepy guy who somehow had a camera on the X-Lawn to watch Scott and Jean decide to get married and wonder what it would mean if they had children and what their future would hold. The camera pulls back and the Sinister voice speaking third person, Sinister knows what your future holds. Prior to 2012-ish, he always struck me as a mad, a bit creepy, and certainly dangerous. But sassy? Campy? Humorous? Numerous clones of himself? Nope. I recall being a bit put off by an AVX-era issue of the relaunched Uncanny. I think it had a city of sinisters. For the era, and having missed a fair bit, I figured whatever and didn't think too deeply of it, nor expected it to continue. When this sassy sinister was what we had in Hoxpox, I just kind of let it go. But 15 issues into Hellions, I don't think I want to go back to what I used to see the character as. I like this take on the character, and the portrayal in this book has worked well to me. 
Walt then cites one of my favorite lines from the book, let's just head over to the incinerator, which made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Walt continues, dark humor if one thinks about it, but funny anyway. And totally, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I don't think I want to go back to the old Sinister either. I, I really, really dig this version, and uh, boy, I, that's that's a, one of the bigger surprises to me about uh, about this era is that I'm really digging this this take on Sinister. That when I first saw it, I dismissed it. It was like, nope, <laughs> nope, that's not Sinister. But wow, he's he's pretty great. I mean, Zeb Wells is just he's just killed it. He's doing awesome, awesome work with this character. Just laugh out loud funny at times, which is a rarity in comics for me. Now Walt wraps up with. I really enjoyed the gala issue of Hellion, seeing the team split, and then the uninvited half still come and crash the party. Simply knowing that the gala was going on, and then seeing their side of it. And just having read X-Factor number 10 the week it came out, I kind of feel like I've seen the best of the gala, and don't even need to read the rest. Though I will read them eventually, just to catch up on everything. I'm trying to think, have you seen the best of the gala? Um, Way of X was good. Way of X was very good. I would definitely recommend that one. And you know, um... It really wasn't that bad. I think I was just so burnt out on it because every single issue was talking about the gala for like months leading up to the gala, and then it finally happened, and uh, I was just over it before it began, which that's not fair to uh, to the books, to the creators. And plus, if you sit down to read all of them, you'll probably get through the entire lot of them in like an hour and a half, so it'll be a little bit different than me spending five to six hours on each individual chapter, so... You'll probably dig it a little bit more than I did. But thank you so much for writing in, Walt. I really, really appreciate it. Next, let's give an X-lapsed welcome to Peter, who's writing in for the first time. Now, Peter says, Hola, I'm still playing catch-up, and I think it'll be a couple more weeks before I'm about current. I've been listening to quite a few episodes a day in between watching movies and week-old recordings of the Paralympics while working. But I also listen when I'm not working to avoid the possibility of creating a conditioned aversion to the podcast. It's the same reason I never wear my favorite clothes to work. <laughs> it's it's so funny you mention that because uh, I fell into that trap. Um, not about the clothes, uh, but uh, but listening to certain podcasts while I was at work. I you know I used to drive uh, to repair windshields. I was on the road. All day, all day from like 6 in the morning to like 4 in the afternoon And I spent a lot of time in the car driving around the area here And I probably had uh, on any given day 4 to 6 hours in the car Where I was able to listen to uh, podcasts And I would binge podcasts while I was doing this And it got to the point where if I would try to listen to them outside of work I, I would kind of like cringe because it, it gave me this weird... <laughs> Sort of uh, aversion to it Very, very funny uh, Peter continues I originally dropped out of comics as a kid during the 90s Clone Saga Though I later enjoyed reading the behind the scenes of it so much That I printed every entry from the Life of Riley blog And hole punched them into a binder I thought I was the only one who did that <laughs> I actually did that um, Boy, when was it? Uh, probably, boy, 2005 or so I was working at a place where we only had internet access in spurts. Like, the internet would hook up for, like, five minutes, like, four or five times a day. And it was dial-up. And it would dial into the home office, which would then dial to the ISP, which was a company I'd never even heard of before. So if I wanted anything to read that wasn't, you know, work, I had to make sure I was, you know, I had a browser window open right then, 
and I would open up multiple tabs, and I remember doing that for the Life of Riley blog, so I could print it out and have it there to enjoy while, uh, while I didn't have internet access most of the day. And for anybody who didn't read Life of Riley, boy, uh, do yourself a favor and check it out. It is so interesting, all the behind-the-scenes stuff that, uh, that went down during the, uh, the Spider-Man clone saga. Uh, I don't remember the name of the fellow who wrote it, but uh, he talked with some editors of the day, uh, some creators of the day, and uh, the the story that was pitched and the story that we got was was very very different, and it's just a, it's just a fascinating read. If I remember at the end of the episode, I'll try to try to put the link in the show notes, but uh, no no guarantees, of course. Uh, Peter continues. I came back to comics at some point in 2006, and then left again in 2016. And listening to your show has not yet triggered my return to Marvel or DC, but it has made me go back and catch up on some indie books that I've been missing. I just don't like the way Marvel treats and seemingly views their comic fans' characters and series, so I'll probably stay away until that changes. I don't usually follow comics, news, and culture, but I did look up pro reviews for X-Men number 14 and couldn't find any that even mentioned it contained mostly reprinted material from X-Men number 12. On Comics Roundup, six reviews were eight or above, with the remainder being a seven, a six, and a four. I wonder how many folks are still part of the regular comic culture that aren't diehard Marvelites or DCians. And wow, it's almost as though I'm reading a letter I wrote to myself here. Uh, I'm very much the same way, though I, I have come back to Marvel to uh, to read the X-Men stuff. Uh, I did leave right around the same time you did, back in 2016, and it was for much of the same reason. Um... First, I mean, the stories just weren't for me. Uh, the X-Men color books were a very odd animal that uh, felt like they were trying to have uh, have their cake and eat it too, right? Or eat their cake and have it too, whatever, however you say that sentence. Um, where they were trying to appeal to the perhaps lapsed reader or the older guard by invoking the names of uh, Blue and Gold. But having absolutely nothing to do with what made the Blue and Gold era special to begin with. And I mean... Of course, it's it's all about when you get into the books. I find those issues to be very special. I'm sure there are people out there who just cringe at the thought of going back to a Jim Lee, Wills Portacio world. And while I would never advocate to go back to that, that era does hold a, a very special place in my heart for it being, you know, my entry into this fandom. But uh, but I, th- I think I've shared this story before. It was um, one of my first, and I mean, I'm a very naive guy. Sometimes I need to be smashed over the head with several anvils before I notice things, but... Uh, there was one thing that uh, Marvel editors did that made me realize that, hey, you know what, they don't really like their fan base. And I, I think I've mentioned this story before, but uh, this is what uh, this was my aha moment, you know, my moment of profundity, if you will. And it was on the CBR message boards, and it was around the time that Marvel started uh, making all their books $4 instead of $3. Well, one fan decided to uh, number crunch and started counting the pages in Marvel Comics because along with the price increase, Marvel said that there was going to be a page increase. You'd get backup stories. You'd get stuff like that, like DC was doing at the time. And so this one fella actually did the work. He crunched the numbers and counted the pages. And somehow we were getting even less pages for a dollar more, which is uh, insane. But he pointed this out, to which Marvel editors came in, not to say something like, hey, you know, this is just what it is now, you know, we don't like it as any more than you do, but, I mean, reality is reality, costs are costs, we're sorry about it, we're going to try to make these the best stories we possibly can. 
I mean, that would have been an acceptable answer. We wouldn't like it because we don't want to pay more, of course, but we could respect it because they're being honest with us. Instead of doing that, uh, the editors came in and made fun of this guy for counting pages. He's like, oh, you know, you're wasting your time counting pages. You should just be enjoying the books. And it's, it's like, well, if we were enjoying the books, maybe we wouldn't count the pages. So maybe this fella is not enjoying the book and he feels like he's getting ripped off. So maybe that's something you might want to address. And as this uh, conversation or debate got even more heated, well, Marvel had CBR kind of squash the dissenters. Um, People were banned, people's posts were removed, except for the ones that backed up Marvel. And uh, the ones who didn't back up Marvel, uh, the only posts that were remaining were the ones that made them look really, really stupid and uh, were basically just left in there without context. So whole swaths of the conversation were just missing. So it made these people look like they were just ranting lunatics rather than people trying to have a conversation. And it was during that debacle that I I really started to, uh, you know, the Pollyanna in me started to perish. And I uh, really saw things for what they were. Now regarding uh, the comics roundup <laughs> and uh, how X-Men 14 was mostly X-Men 12 again, of course they're not going to mention that. They're not going to mention that because... Uh, A, they want their pat on the head from Marvel, and B, they want their free stuff from Marvel. They're certainly not going to say anything that might endanger their comps, which really sucks, um, because these are the the folks who are supposed to tell us what we should and shouldn't be reading. You know, this is where the casual fan can go to be like, you know, this is kind of interesting to me. Is this something I might want? And when everything is a 10 out of 10, and I mean, there are folks out there, I'm not going to name names, But there are people out there who somehow have credibility in the community, but have absolutely zero integrity. Who, if you go through their reviews, everything's a 10. Everything's a 10. And, you know, I've tried engaging some of these people in conversation before, trying to to find out what makes a 10 out of 10 for them. Because not every single book can be perfect, right? I, I figure, I think I've said this before, but like since 1937, there's probably been... A half dozen 10 out of 10 books, period. (laughs) Now we can't go a week without twice that getting a 10 out of 10, which is just insane to me. It's absolutely insane to me, and it speaks to to the lack of integrity in the reviewing community. And again, if you ever dare question why it's a 10 out of 10, you're called some sort of an ist for not thinking it's a perfect book, which, I mean, that's, uh, that's uncool. That's just uncool. Peter continues with some questions. When is the last time that there was an editor on the X-Books that mattered? That's a good question. Um, (laughs) I I really don't know. I mean, Bob Harris did preside over a very um, high-profile time in X-Men history, though, I mean, it could be argued whether or not he did much good for them in the the long term. But uh, I guess we can say he mattered, especially since, like, uh, according to some of the writers who were on the books at the time, he basically rewrote everything that they had written anyway. <laughs> so he was kind of on top of things. Um, I think Mark Powers was on when uh, Grant Morrison came in, so that's that's a goodie. But after that, it was as though the X-Men were entering into that dark decade, right? They were being pushed to the back of the line. They just weren't a priority for Marvel anymore in the same way that they were during the latter part of the 70s into the 80s and the first half of the 90s. Now, I do want to make sure to say that I don't know what an editor does. I don't know what their job description reads as for Marvel, so, I mean, I can't say that anybody's doing anything wrong, except, you know, when we see continuity errors and spelling errors and stuff like that, but uh, 
For the most part, I don't know what their uh, what their duties entail. Peter wraps up with, There are a lot of podcasts out there with a single person talking into a microphone, and I don't listen to any of them except this one. Your sight and the continuing of this feed is an incredible feat. So until Cannonball stops finishing dead last in diving competitions, make mine X-lapsed, Claremont to Claremont, Moratory, Chris's on Infinite Earths, Cosmic Treadmill, and many, many more. Well, I can't thank you enough, Peter. That uh, really put a smile on my face and uh, made my day. And again, sorry it took me so long to get this message on the air. Just uh, had to wait for these books to arrive, and I wanted to make sure I covered this one on the flagship show. So thanks again, and I hope to hear from you again real soon. Uh, Next up, Jesse talking about uh, X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics and some more. He says, on Essential X-Labs, you and Marvel have mentioned mini-comics that Marvel was putting out, possibly through vending machines. I'm not sure if it's the same thing, but in the early 2000s, Marvel did something similar to this with micro-comics. They were the same thing as the regular comics, but the size of a coin. I have a few of these, and they're pretty much comics made for three and three-quarter inch action figures to read. They really are micro, and uh, Jesse did include a picture of the, uh, I think it was an X-Men Unlimited, not not X-Men Unlimited, Ultimate X-Men. I think it was Ultimate X-Men number six, and wow, it, it is tiny. It is very, very tiny, and it looks pretty amazing. Uh, These are semi-similar to the ones from back in uh, 1966, but uh, the ones from 66 didn't have quite as much detail. They were basically, um, like, every page was just a panel, but it it wasn't even really a panel. It was very, very sparsely drawn. Um, If I remember to link to... There's a a great website out there that has all of them posted. If I remember to link to it, I definitely will. Hopefully, hopefully I can find it again. It's uh, it's been a few weeks since I looked for it, and you just never know. But uh, they're very, very interesting. Like if you would open the book up and look at like one page, like the two pages that kind of face each other, like one of them would have words on it, and the other one would have like a sketch on it. Uh, nothing terribly detailed, but uh, an interesting piece of ephemera. Certainly not as detailed as the uh, the micro comic you uh, you sent me in the in the email there. Uh, Jesse continues, I also want to thank you for covering the X-Men Unlimited book on Sunday. I'll not be getting Marvel Digital anytime soon, but I still want to hear what's going down. Both the Wolverine and Jeff stories sounded fun and entertaining. I also hope that someday they come out in a print collection like other digital books have done. We will see. And yeah, I hope so. I really do hope so. Um, Part of me really, really hates the fact that there's going to be part of the story that I'm not going to be able to actually own the physical version of, right? I'm the same way when it comes to things like video games. Like, if I see a game that's on sale that I can download for like five bucks, I'll still go to the store and pay you know three or four times that just so I can have you know the case, the disc. It's mine at that point, right? I don't have to worry about it being delisted or deactivated. It's just in my hands. I can put it in the machine and it'll do what it has to do. Not to say that I think the X-Men Unlimited comics will ever be yanked off of Marvel Unlimited, and by now they've probably been scanlated to all the uh, you know free sites anyway, so they're not going anywhere, but still, I would like to have it in my hands. I can you know file it behind the other X-Men Unlimited comics. But I'm definitely glad you enjoyed the episode. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, too. Um, when this was all teased and then finally announced, I uh, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it. And then when I opened it up and saw that it was going to be a Wolverine story, I kind of, I was like, don't, doesn't Wolverine appear enough <laughs> at this point? But, I, you know, I enjoyed it for what it was, and I do see the potential in it moving forward. I'm not sure how they would translate this to print. I'm sure they can. I'm sure they can, but I, I don't know, I don't know how it would work necessarily, but... uh 
Fingers crossed that that's what they do And uh, again, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed uh, the episode Jesse continues with To answer the question you put out there I think you interact perfectly with the fandom You read out messages and letters and episodes You tweet in Facebook every day And you're very active on the XLAPS Facebook page I think you're doing a fine job And this is uh, in reference to a question that I had asked I had received I, I, Actually, I don't think I talked about this on the main show This was only on the Essential show I had gotten a, a very thoughtful message from... Uh, well, an anonymous poster on chrisisoninfinitearth.com. I can't remember if it was listed as anonymous or as unknown, because uh, sometimes blogger will put either one when there's no name to, uh, uh, to associate with whoever made the post. And this one asked me about um, becoming more a part of the community, which uh, anybody who's listened to my stuff before or anybody who has had the... Um, uh, bad luck of having interacted with me in person or in private, you know that that's something that I have, uh, that ch- it's a challenge to me. I'm not very good at that sort of thing. And so I kind of put it out there because it, uh, it, I, I don't want to say it affected me, but it, it made me stop and kind of like take pause and think about perception. You know, when I think of my place in the community, whether it be the comics podcasting community or just the comics content community, I kind of view myself as someone that uh, well, people don't care for all that much. <laughs> just a kind of the uh, vestigial limb of uh, of the community. And even when I do uh, interact or communicate with folks, I always think that I'm putting them out, like uh, I'm bothering them, annoying them. Uh, this is almost certainly a manifestation of just really, really bad uh, self-esteem. <laughs> Probably from my childhood and whatnot, but uh, it's one of those feelings I just uh, have trouble shaking. So I kind of just stick to myself. Um, and I suppose that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's also not a good thing either. So I've been trying to make efforts into, I don't know, just being more, I don't know, active, visible, available. I, I don't know how to even word it here. It's a, I don't know, weird feeling. Uh, that, that message I got was uh, kind of a strange reality check that I... Didn't even know that uh, was out there for me. So that's what Jesse's referring to there. And I, I do definitely thank you for your feedback. Uh, now, Jesse wraps up with, well, until X-Lapsed becomes holodeck exclusive, make mine X-Lapsed. Well, it's uh, funny you mention exclusive content because, uh, yeah, you know what? We'll talk about that another time when things are a little bit more uh, for sure. But thank you so much for writing in, Jesse. It's always great to hear from you. And, uh, That'll do it for the mailbag. Uh, but while we're talking about people, I'd like to hop into shout-outs right now. I want to thank the folks who uh, clicked the little uh, little interaction buttons on the social medias that uh, that I sent out about uh, the last episode for helping to, uh, you know, signal boost the program. So we're going to start on Twitter, and I'd like to thank Walt Neeland, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Jeremiah, RC, Alan Richard-Jones, Pat Sampson, Mark Jagger, Joe Crawford, The Selling Out Show, and Billy D. Over on Facebook, Jeremiah, Joe Crawford, Jesse D. Young, Pat Sampson, Walt Neeland, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to spread the word on this little program. Now on to our final segment. Now, I know this has been a very long one, but uh, this is our final segment, and since this is the first episode of the September run of X-Lapsed, We're going to take a look at Marvel previews. Now, this is September for November 2021 shipping. And uh, worth noting here, this uh, issue includes a page of information on Penguin Random House, so maybe this is the first Diamond Free Month. 
I'm not sure if that is the case, but uh, this is the first time I've noticed one of those uh, one of those pages in the uh, in the previews mag. So that could be some interesting stuff here. I wonder if they're going to uh, be able to keep up the uh, I guess the diamond standard of shipping. Um, I mean, we give a lot of guff to diamond and have for many many years, decades even. But uh, you know, on Wednesday those comics show up. For folks who follow uh, DC Comics right now, man, it feels like every single week a local comic store is saying, hey, DC's going to be late again. So part of me is a little concerned with uh, infrastructure stuff, because, I mean, the last time Marvel tried doing this, it was a disaster, though. That was a very, very long time ago, and Marvel was a very, very different place back then. So fingers crossed that everything turns out real good. Now, the cover of this one is Hulk number one, no longer Immortal Hulk. Uh, and the back cover is Avengers number 50 slash 750. And I tell you, it's nice to see Marvel diversifying their uh, their talent, right? <laughs> it's funny. We uh, fans are constantly getting berated and put down for not doing our part to support, you know, diverse characters and creators in comics. And, uh, well, here's Marvel just playing musical chairs with their top creators on the top books over and over and over again because uh, Donny Cates and Al Ewing certainly needed more top-tier Marvel work, right? <clears throat> anyway, let's get into the books here. We got Inferno, number three of four, Hickman and Silva, six bucks. The uh, blurb is Nimrod Strikes, and uh, Krakoa's troubles don't attack one at a time. Jonathan Hickman reunites with his Powers of X collaborator, R.B. Silva, for the penultimate chapter of his X-Swan Song. Now, this cover features Magneto and Xavier fighting off a few Nimrods here, and I'm definitely looking forward to this. Uh, This is uh, what it's been building to. I do wish that Marvel would spend a little bit more time... I don't know, talking about the characters and not the creators so much, but, uh, I mean, that's just the world we're in right now. Next up is a book that we will probably be covering here. It's Phoenix Song Echo, two of five. It's by Rowan Horse, Maresca, and Charles, four dollars. This one has the X-Men on the cover, so I'm guessing we're going to get some Echo and Gene chatter about uh, Phoenix Hood. I already have the first issue pre-ordered, so we'll, we'll take a look at it, and if it is something that we need to cover in full, then we'll do that. If not, we'll just cover the ones that are uh, X-relevant. Oh, and before I forget, uh, looks like Black Panther number one is being resolicited in this uh, in this issue. So I guess that is to say that Black Panther's been pushed back a few months. Um, I think last time we looked at the uh, previews, we saw Black Panther number three, which featured Storm and some Krakoan stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm guessing that's been pushed back a few months. We will, of course, keep an eye out for it, and uh, when it does hit, we'll get it. We got Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices, number one, all new 2021. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, Not sure why they didn't just call this issue two. It could have been Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices, number two. (laughs) But whatever. Uh, We'll grab this one just in case there's anything X-related to discuss. Uh, We do have Forge and Danny Moonstar on the cover, so uh, it stands to reason that there will be some stories for us in it. Thankfully, it is only $5.00. Because these voices books have been 10 of late So uh, fingers crossed that this is a sign that uh, those prices are going to come back down to more reasonable levels Next up, one that we're probably not going to cover here But uh, definitely want us to keep it on the radar This is Dark Ages number 3 of 6 by Taylor and Coelho, 4 bucks Has Apocalypse on the cover Don't know what reality this is happening in I'm going to need someone to fill me in, I guess uh, next, Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood 404. I'm going to grab it just in case, because we might be doing an episode that covers the relevant bits from the entire series once the dust settles. I was going to do them issue by issue, but 
I'm not sure that there's enough meat for an entire episode. Though I have, I have done episodes with less. So <laughs> I guess uh, we'll just play that one by ear. Uh, next, X Force Kill Shot Anniversary Special Number One by Rob Liefeld and Company. And we will be covering this one regardless of where it fits. Uh, it will either fit as an episode of X-Lapsed or a special eighth episode of Major X-Lapsed because uh, the good Major is prominently featured on the cover. So hopefully this will be... Uh, hopefully it'll be fun. Hopefully it'll be fun. Uh, Sword number 10 by Ewing and Kamigny, four bucks. And the cover shows Old Man Cable. So I'm guessing Old Man Cable is part of the book. So spoilers, I guess. Hellions number 17 Okay, this is usually where I get all giddy and say Hey, the book wasn't cancelled But it, uh, it I don't know if it was cancelled, but it is ending It is ending uh, Hellions number 17 is actually the penultimate issue uh, 18 will be it uh, It's by Wells and Segovia, of course Four bucks uh, The cover features Orphan Maker and Nanny's new little right bot baby So I feel like we're definitely in tying off loose ends mode at this point, we're gonna try to answer as many questions as possible, which hopefully, uh, hopefully Wells is getting enough time to uh, to do that in a satisfying way for him and us. Uh, next up, X Men: The Trial of Magneto, number four of five by Williams and Warnick, five dollars. This one promises chaos coming to Krakoa, and the cover shows Wanda splitting into different bodies, including one that looks all Krakoan planty, you know. Um, I am definitely looking forward to this. Uh, I It's all I can do right now. I've got the Trial of Magneto number one in front of me. It just got here last night with the rest of the shipment. And, uh, yeah, I really want to read it. <laughs> We're, I, believe, I believe that's actually going to be episode 250 of this program. So if everything goes according to plan, this will probably be hitting next Friday. So fingers crossed for that. Definitely looking forward to it, and definitely looking forward to getting, getting everybody's thoughts on exactly what goes down there. Next up, X Force number twenty-five uh, by Percy and Gill, four dollars, and in this one, uh, another previous unknown threat comes to Krakoa. New Mutants twenty-three, Ayala and Rice, four dollars. Fall of the Shadow Children. So uh, maybe we're going to get uh, an ending to the Shadow King saga. That, that could be fun. I've been enjoying that thus far. Got X-Men number five, Duggan and Pina, or Pina, uh, $4. And then this one, Dr. Stasis makes his move. And, of course, we've met Dr. Stasis over the course of the past couple of issues of X-Men. And uh, seems like a very interesting new villain with uh, some very, very intriguing motivation. So, certainly looking forward to that. Marauders number 26. Holy smokes, we made it past number 25. I would not have bet any money on that. I figured if anything made it to 25, that would have been the final issue and would have started over after that. It's uh, reminiscent to, of my concerns when Action Comics hit 1,000. It's like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to hit 1,000, but is it going to hit 1,001? <laughs> or is it going to go back to number one again? And I was wrong there, and I'm wrong here. And that's, that's a good thing. Uh, this is by Duggan and Lolly, $4. And in this one, the Marauders fight Fin Fang Foom. And I'm not a huge fan of a diaper-wearing dragon, but so long as the Marauders aren't hanging out on Krakoa or on Madripoor, th- that, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's good stuff here, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Excalibur 25, Howard in tow, $4. King Arthur returns, and we're still in Otherworld. Wolverine number 18, Percy and Medina, four bucks. Wolverine's on the run with uh, our favorite, is he CIA or FBI? Whoever he is, Jeff Bannister. He makes a return. And the blurb promises some unexpected villains. 
Which is to say, uh, someone not Russian and or vampire I tell you, anybody who's not Russian or vampire would be unexpected to me in a Ben Percy book uh, Next up, a book we're not going to cover for the show But uh, for completionist's sake, X-Men Legends number 9 This is Hammer and Tan, $4, more Hammer Wolverine we got Logan versus Lady Deathstrike, Omega Red, and Sabretooth, and uh, yes, you can smell it from here. Uh, finally, Black Widow number 13 is a maybe, because Natasha is in Madripoor, and I'm not sure if a certain patched fellow might show up there. You just never know. So we will keep that one on the radar, and if we need to cover it, we certainly will. Now into the collected editions here We got Cable by Jerry Duggan Volume 1 hardcover And this includes Cable 1 through 4 and 7 through 12 So everything except Exitens This is 288 pages for $40 Next we got Wolverine The Weapon X Gallery Edition hardcover And this includes Marvel Comics Presents 72 through 84 Of course the Weapon X story Also Wolverine number 166 And Uncanny X-Men number 205 This is 200 pages for 45 bucks Got the X of Swords TPB, all 300 parts of it. It's 720 pages for $75. We got the Deadpool Black, White, and Blood Treasury Edition, all four issues, 136 pages for $30, or $10 more than the individual issues themselves. Though it is a treasury, so, you know, you give them a little bit. We got the X-Force Epic Collection, Zero Tolerance. This includes X-Force Negative 1 and 66 through 84. It's 496 pages for $45. We got the Ecstatics Complete Collection Volume 2, which includes Ecstatics issues 6 through 12. I'm sorry, 6 through 20, Wolverine and Dupe 1 and 2, and some material from X-Men Unlimited number 41. It's 416 pages for $45. And finally, we have X-Men by Peter Milligan, Blood of Apocalypse. This includes Cable and Deadpool issues 26 and 27. And X-Men Volume 2, 177 through 187, 336 pages for $35. Well, oof, that, my friends, will do it. You know, I was looking forward to getting back into original recipe X-Laps because uh, as much as I enjoy doing Essentials, and I really, really do, Essentials is a blast, but time just gets away from me when I'm doing it. Um... Usually an episode of regular old X-Laps can take anywhere from, it's like, three to four hours to put together from soup to nuts. Uh, not including, you know, reading the book a couple of times, but the essentials, boy, um, <laughs> since I'm including things like the letters pages and the bullpen bulletins, uh, it's rare that I can finish an episode of the essentials in under six hours. I'm literally waking up at, like, 4.30 in the morning to have this done before, uh, before my day actually starts. It's, uh... It's pretty intense, and, and as much as I love it, it's, uh, <laughs> I was looking forward to getting a little bit of a, uh, little bit of a respite in these um, plain old original recipe X-Lapsed uh, shows. But uh, this one, since we had so much mail and we had the previews and we were talking about uh, you know, a summation of an entire series, well, today was the first time I ever actually killed my laptop battery doing this and uh, had to run and <laughs> plug it in before it you know, completely died and I lost everything, so... Uh, it's been quite an adventure today, and I'm uh, so happy that you were here with me for it. Uh, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I would love for you to do so. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. 
for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can, uh, where, where's after that? Facebook, I think. Yes, you can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And finally, for the complete archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that's available on all of your listening devices and applications. Okie dokie. Well, once again, I want to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.